You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on the Feast of Pentecost, June 9th, 2019. A reading from the Book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, saying, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, my family, uh, as many of you know, we were on vacation last weekend in the Smokies and throughout most of this past week. So thank you for your prayers for us as we were traveling. It was a really wonderful and refreshing time. Um, And one of the things we did while we were there is we went up to the highest mountaintop in the Smokies to see what the view looked like around us. Uh, It was called... Klingman's Dome. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but they have this at the very, very top. They have this ramp that uh, circles around going up, up, up to this tower platform, and then you can see everything down around you. Unfortunately, it was foggy when we got up there, so we didn't see a whole lot, but we could see in one direction uh, the the sort of shape of the mountains in the distance, and it was was pretty magnificent. Uh, Even just the, the smokiness of that fog in the in the uh, spruce trees up there was beautiful. And on our way back down, we stopped at the gift shop and my brother bought this, uh, this thing that I thought was Legos. It was, it was an off-brand. 
um, and the pieces were about a quarter of the size of Lego pieces. Now you know Legos are, are pretty small. If you've ever stepped on them in the middle of the night, uh, you know that they, they hurt quite a bit. Uh, they're tiny, but these were even tinier. And they had instructions that were not quite as good as normal Lego instructions. But this Lego set uh, reconstructed uh, the, the tower structure on top of Klingman's Dome with that, that circular ramp that goes up to the, the tower. And my kids labored for hours when we got back from Klingman's Dome that afternoon, trying to put all these tiny little pieces back together to make something that resembled this tower that we had all just seen. Trying to make sense out of all these tiny little pieces. When these pieces are broken apart, I think it's, it's actually not unlike something that we see a lot in the Old Testament. It's a pattern of breaking apart and scattering. And we're just going to do a, a brief survey of a few passages of the Old Testament, starting with Adam and Eve. You remember after the fall, we see the curse of the fall. And then after that, it says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword, turning every which way. So that's first generation. In the next generation, we see Cain and Abel. And I'm sure you all remember this story. Cain and Abel both come to present gifts to the Lord. One brings gifts of grain, and one brings an animal sacrifice. And Abel's sacrifice was accepted by the Lord, and Cain's was not. And so what happens? Cain gets very angry. And he takes out his jealous anger on his brother, Abel, and kills him. And the Lord's response to Cain is this, chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So again, we see this scattering happening, this moving about as Cain wanders the earth, no longer fixed to one location because the land will not give its produce easily as it did for his father Adam. And then we get to the Old Testament passage that we read today. The Tower of Babel, the great story of technology, even uh, generations ago in the Old Testament. And here we see the people of God coming together under one language and they say, uh, let's, let's gather together in one place. You can see they had been scattering. Let's gather together in one place that we may make a name for ourselves. And so they set to building this great tower. They come up with the technology for making bricks and burning them so that they're nice and solid. And they, they come up with bitumen as a way to, to tie these bricks together and make mortar. And they start building this tower up to heaven. They build a city to gather themselves all together. And the Lord comes down and he looks at this, and this is what he says, verses 7 and 8. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. 
The Lord here was concerned that they were trying to put themselves in his place. This is the danger of technology, of course, to become like God, to make decisions that are God-like decisions that we have no authority to make for ourselves. You could play this out in our contemporary technology in all kinds of different ways, but you can see it was a concern even here generations ago. The people were getting so full of themselves, so prideful, that they were going to build a tower up to heaven to the very place where they, they knew God to be. And so God, in response to this, confuses their language, and again, we see scattering. The people are dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, you might think from these examples that God is in favor of disunity and scattering, that God doesn't want to see people coming together, that he would rather have them disparate and apart and spread over the face of the whole earth. But the opposite is actually true. It's just the time had not yet come. So let's ask for a moment, what causes disunity and scattering? Where does disunity come from? In each of these cases, God is causing the disunity and the scattering, but he's doing it not because he wants to, but in response to sin. Adam and Eve sinned, and he had to scatter them. Cain sinned, and he had to scatter him. The people in Babel sinned, and God had to scatter them. So God's scattering is in a response to sin. And sin is one of the main reasons why scattering happens, why disunity happens. In the Catechism of the Anglican Church in North America, right at the very beginning, question three asks, how does sin affect you? How does sin affect you? And what it says is that sin alienates me from God, my neighbor, God's good creation, and myself. I am hopeless, guilty, lost, helpless, and walking in the way of death. What does it mean to be alienated from something? It means to be separated, to be torn apart, to be utterly different from something else. And what this is saying is that sin alienates us in all of these categories. It alienates us from God. That was what happened with Adam and Eve. They sinned. They were in the garden. They were in God's presence all the time. There was no separation there. But because of their sin, they had to be separated from God. Their sin had no place in the presence of God's holiness, and so they were cast out of the garden. So sin alienates us from God. Sin alienates us from my neighbor. When we sin against one another, it drives us apart from one another. It separates us from God's good creation. There are lots of ways in which we sin, and it, it separates us from God's good creation. It, it uh, destroys God's good creation. And finally, from myself. It, seems, it kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit to say, how can I, how can I be alienated from myself? But we're alienated from ourselves through sin because we know the people that we're supposed to be and we see the reality of what we are with sin in our lives and it separates us from our true selves. We talked about that all through the month of May. And so in all of these ways, sin alienates us. Sin works kind of like a splitting wedge. I don't know if you have ever split wood 
I count splitting wood as a, a hobby. I haven't done it in a while, but I, I enjoy the process of splitting wood, especially around a campfire, getting ready uh, to, to have a nice campfire. You have to take these logs that are really too big to burn on, on their own, and you have to split them apart so that they have more burnable surfaces and you can enjoy the goodness of that bonfire or you can heat your house with it. We used to heat our house with wood. And so sometimes when you're splitting wood, you can just take your axe and go for it. And if you look at an axe, it's, it's a wedge. But other times you need an extra tool, a splitting wedge. You get that first crack going and then you take the splitting wedge, which is uh, wedge shaped, of course, and you stick it right in that crack and then you use a sledgehammer to pound that piece of iron into the wood and more and more it rips the two halves of the wood apart from each other. And that's what sin does in our lives, especially between people. Sin takes that beginning of a crack and it just keeps festering and splitting and festering and splitting until the two pieces are torn apart from each other. So sin is one of the main ways in which this disunity and scattering happens. But there's also the reality of the enemy, Satan. And Satan's goal is to create disunity and scattering. That's how it's been from the beginning. Satan was separated from God because of his own rebellion, his own pride. He wanted to put himself in the place of God. And so he was separated from God and scattered he had to leave heaven, and he took a bunch of angels with him, and they became demons. But he wasn't content to have that separation by himself. He wanted to take those demons with him, and he wanted to take humanity with him, which is why he appears to Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent and deceives them, and they commit their first sin, separating them from God as well. This is Satan's pattern, separating, causing disunity with God and among people. He seeks to draw others away from God and away from each other. My wife reminded me this past week of a good friend of ours, Martha Giltonen, who was a, a priest in Pittsburgh and uh, New England before that, and she died a number of years ago. But often when she was counseling married couples and they were having strife in their marriages, they were, uh, they were fighting, they were uh, rough around the edges, she would remind them that, that they are not each other's enemy that we have a real enemy named Satan, and he desires nothing more than to see marriages ripped apart. Satan desires to see this disunity happening. Satan is real, and Satan has a real desire to rip people apart. We see this same kind of scattering in the Gospel of Matthew. At the Last Supper, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and preparing them for everything that's about to happen, including the fact that Peter is about to deny Jesus and that all of the disciples are going to join in that denial and scattering. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 and 32, it says, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That's what Satan desired to do. He was striking the shepherd, Jesus, and in striking the shepherd, his apostles, the disciples, scattered. Peter followed him for a time, 
but even Peter fell away, and John was the only one that we know was present at the cross. Where were the other ten? They had scattered. They weren't there. And the next time we see them, they're locked away in a room for fear of the Jews, for fear that the same thing is about to happen to them. Satan is causing disunity and scattering. And then finally, we can look at the church and divisions in the church. If you look at the history of the church over 2,000 years, we see lots of stories of unity, but we also see lots of stories of disunity and splitting, starting with the Great Schism in around the, the 1200s, and then the, the breaking apart of um, Protestant denominations and, and the, the fracturing of the church into all of its multiple pieces. This, too, is disunity, and it's the work of Satan. It's not Jesus' desire. Jesus' desire was that we would be one. And as he prays in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verses 22 and 23, he says to the Father, The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Our unity among one another, which comes from Jesus, is supposed to be a sign to the world that God is real, and that Jesus loves them, and that we follow Jesus, and we desire to bring others into that fold. God is a God of unity. Satan is about scattering. God is about bringing back together. Now again, in the Old Testament, we see lots of this scattering. And I said before that the time had not yet come. But today, on the day of Pentecost, we remember when the time did come. When God decided to start gathering his people back together. In Ephesians chapter 1, and I read this two weeks ago to you, the last time I was preaching, we hear about God's ultimate plan in Jesus Christ. God's ultimate plan in Jesus Christ is this, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's ultimate plan is to see things united, to see God's broken creation come back together and be remade and renewed. And it's Jesus who's making this happen. Jesus is at the center of that reunification, that putting back together. And on the day of Pentecost, we see some signs that this uniting has begun through the sending of the Holy Spirit. There's lots of ways in which the coming of the Holy Spirit symbolizes and actualizes this unity, this bringing back together. So first of all, we see God united with his people. God united with his people. Adam and Eve were scattered, sent out of the garden. But the promise of the Holy Spirit is that he will dwell in us and that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, which we read this morning, we hear this story of the Holy Spirit 
coming upon these disciples who were gathered in that upper room. And in verse 4 it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. These disciples were filled. Their whole persons were engulfed by the Holy Spirit. This is the fulfillment of what Jesus promised in the gospel that we read today in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, verse 17, it says, I will send you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That was God's, Jesus' promise to his disciples, that the Holy Spirit would be in them. And on the day of Pentecost, we see that come to its fullness. The Holy Spirit filling them, dwelling within them, and being in them. They have truly become temples of the Holy Spirit. And so what was formerly rent apart, God and his people separated, God is bringing back together with God himself dwelling inside of his believers. And we can still experience this today. The Holy Spirit is given to us at or around the time of our baptism and conversion, and Paul instructs us to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. He says that in Ephesians chapter 4, chapter 5. Do not become drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. It's an ongoing filling, a filling that's supposed to happen day in and day out. We can actually just wake up in the morning and pray, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. So we see God uniting himself with his people once more. But we also see God uniting people together. These people which had formerly been scattered, God is drawing back together. And one of the ways the Spirit manifests himself in the lives of the disciples is that they all began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts 2, chapter 4, we just read that verse. What was the purpose of these tongues? The purpose in this case was that as they were telling the mighty acts of God, each person present was hearing the mighty acts of God in his or her own language. Now, the thing you have to understand about Pentecost, Pentecost isn't just a Christian feast that we celebrate in the Christian year. It's not just something that happened arbitrarily 50 days after Easter, and so all of a sudden we're celebrating the Holy Spirit 50 days after Easter because that's when the Holy Spirit manifested himself with these tongues of fire and the mighty rushing wind. Pentecost is an Old Testament festival that had been commanded by God all the way back in the Pentateuch, all the way back in the the five books of Moses. It was one of the great festivals of the year, and it was one of the festivals in which every male was to appear before the Lord at the temple each year. Now, I don't think every male actually did appear at the temple each year, uh, but we do know that the population of Jerusalem swelled mightily on these feasts where, where people were supposed to gather together. And I do think most people, at least often, came to Jerusalem to celebrate these festivals as they were able to. 
And so on this day of Pentecost, people were there from all over the world. Just listen to this list of different people who were present. All there to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost together at or near the temple. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And it says in verse 5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Every nation under heaven. God had gathered them all together for this festival of Pentecost, and God chose this festival of Pentecost when all these people were there together to send his Holy Spirit upon these disciples so that they could speak in these tongues to these people and each could hear in their own language. Now, most of these probably understood Hebrew in some sense. They were all Jews. That's the language in which their scriptures were written. They might have at least understood Greek. So they could have just spoken in in Hebrew or Greek and, and gotten most of the people. But God allowed those apostles to speak in the language that was most native to each of those people. Some people might ask, why do we still translate the Bible today into all these languages? I mean, we have 700-some languages that the Bible has been translated into. Isn't that enough? Hasn't that covered most of the people in the world? And what Bible translators will tell you is that it's very important for each person to have a copy of the scriptures, not just in a language that they understand, but in their heart language. The language that they dream in. The language that they communicate with the people they love in. Their heart language. And the Holy Spirit was speaking to each person in their heart language about the mighty acts of God. A tailor-made message for each person present. You can see God bringing unity in the midst of this diversity of languages and cultures. People in the past had been confused and scattered because they were trying to make a name for themselves, as we read in Genesis chapter 11. Now God is bringing unity in himself to people of every nation. And those people who were dwelling in Jerusalem, all of them were going to go back home. And as they went back home, they were going to take what they had learned with them. At the end of this chapter, we learn that after Peter's sermon, 3,000 people believed and were baptized that day. 3,000 people. That's a pretty good sermon, huh? Yeah. It's not what Peter did. It's what the Holy Spirit did in each of those people's lives. And those 3,000 people, some of them stayed in Jerusalem, but others went back to Rome, to Mesopotamia, to Egypt, to Libya, to all those places that they had come from, and they brought the gospel with them. Even the former separation between Jew and Gentile was being broken down. Verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Non-Jews were hearing the mighty acts of God and they were believing. And so the separation that was between Jew and Gentile was being broken down as well. One of the main functions of the Holy Spirit today is to bring unity in the church so that we can participate in helping people who are far away from God 
find him and fall in love with him. The Holy Spirit is God uniting us to himself and uniting people to himself and uniting us to one another in the church. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We can't do that on our own. On our own, we sin against each other and we draw wedges between each other and we separate each other. But God's Holy Spirit draws us together so that we can be united in the common mission that he's given us to make disciples of all nations. So this is the what. God is uniting all things together in himself, things in heaven and things on earth. He is putting back together all the scattered Lego pieces of his creation which had been torn apart and scattered by sin. And the how is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, dwelling within us, convicting us of sin, making us holy, and empowering us with everything we need to be agents of the good news in this world. Friends, you are temples of the Holy Spirit. God himself dwells in you. But this is not just for you, as awesome as that is. It's for everyone around you. Because if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, then every person you touch has the potential to have an encounter with God. And like Abraham, we have been blessed so that we can be a blessing to all nations. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you dwell within us. We thank you that you empower us for ministry and that you cleanse us from sin and that you've united us to yourself and unite us to one another. And we pray, Lord, that you would use us powerfully, not in our own strength, but in the strength that you provide us through your Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We pray that you would equip us with everything that we need to accomplish your mission in this world. We thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us, but that you are always with us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. From the tops of our heads to the tips of our toes, fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.